This is Mark, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, and these are the words that he pens. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Jesus, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. There are three points on your outline this morning. Uh, I hope it was our intention that each of our young people uh, this morning would, would have a unique set of sermon notes in front of them. If you happen to miss that when you came in, mom, dad, slide, slide your youngster something to write with and a writing utensil. Uh, little ones, I always encourage your parents to take notes. The reason why I encourage your parents to take notes is because I think you'll listen better if you do. And I think the same thing is true of you. And so take some notes. Perhaps even draw a picture as you hear me preaching God's word. Perhaps even draw a little picture that might help you uh, make God's word stick in your mind and stick in your heart. I think you'll pay attention better if you have a pen in your hand. Uh, point number one on your outline is this. Boldly confess that you need the mercy of Jesus. Boldly confess that you need, desperately need, the mercy of Jesus. Let me draw your attention back here briefly to verses 46 and 47. Look back at your Bible there for just a second. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and the great crowd, that's the they, when they came to Jericho, they came across Bartimaeus, who was a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, and he was sitting by the roadside, and when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Mark tells us here, in the beginning of our text, that Jesus and his disciples came to Jericho came to Jericho. Jericho is one of the oldest inhabited cities on earth. The name Jericho, it means a fragrant place. A fragrant place. It was a beautiful city. It was built by Herod the Great, and it was full of many fragrant plants, things like roses uh, and cypress. Travelers passing through Jericho were surrounded by just a barrage of wonderful, beautiful, great, fragrant smells. It was a city that lived up to its name. But there was a fragrance in Jericho on this particular day unlike any they had ever smelled. There was a smell in Jericho on this day that was uniquely different. 
the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys was passing through. If you want to go back sometime and check out where those names come from, uh, jot down Song of Solomon 2, verse 1. Second Solomon, or, uh, Song of Solomon, rather, 2, verse 1, speaks of the rose of Sharon, the coming Messiah, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. You see, this day, he was passing through. And as he did, as Jesus did, he demonstrated the great fragrance of his glory. It's also interesting to note that Jericho was the first town captured by Joshua. Jericho was the first town captured by Joshua, who, interestingly enough, his name in Hebrew and Greek, Yeshua, is the same as Jesus' name. Joshua, Jesus, Yeshua in Greek and Hebrew. And it was Joshua who was divinely commissioned by God to obtain the land of Palestine for Israel. Now, compare that with the Joshua in our text here in front of us, the Yeshua in our text here in front of us. This Joshua, Jesus, is on his way into Jerusalem to obtain redemption for the people whom God will save. Jericho is situated about five miles west of the Jordan River, and it's about 15 miles east of Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And so uh, directly, well, almost directly west, kind of northwest, 15 miles uh, from Jerusalem is where Jesus and his disciple, along with this entourage of a crowd, are located. And they are getting ready to trek that 15 miles into Jerusalem, which was an arduous trek, by the way. Uphill, very jagged, sharp curves and turns. It was a difficult journey. But that's where Jesus is heading. Jesus uh, is at the end of the road, so to speak. His life will be short from this point forward. Jericho was a major uh, city, and through it ran a thoroughfare that ran to uh, Jerusalem. It was called the Jerusalem Road. That's the road Jesus and the crowd, his disciples, would have traveled on as they were heading out of Jerusalem. Mark tells us that he, Jesus, was leaving Jerusalem. I'm sorry, leaving Jericho with his disciples. They were on the Jericho Road into Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples, as they're traveling here on the Jericho Road with this caravan in tow, they they come across. Blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, he was sitting there on the roadside, Uh, in other words, he was marginalized, he was sidelined, so to speak, he was a blind beggar, which those two things uh, were commonly uh, together, if you were blind, you were typically a beggar, it's a common combination because a blind person would have had very little, if any way, of earning a living by means of any type of labor work. Because they couldn't see, they couldn't work at any type of labor job, and so they would oftentimes be relegated to uh, the beggar's position. And that's exactly what we see uh, here in Bartimaeus. The road into Jerusalem, particularly at this time, uh, would have been a good place for a beggar to beg because there was a massive influx of Jewish people that were heading to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. That's where Jesus and his disciples are going. They're headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. Interestingly enough, as the Passover lamb was being sacrificed in Jerusalem, we'll read about this in the days to come, Jesus, the lamb of God without spot or or blemish, would be crucified just on the other side of the city. 
But that's what Jesus and his disciples and the, the whole massive crowd here are heading to Jerusalem for. They're heading to Jerusalem for the Passover. A huge, huge influx of people. As a matter of fact, the law stated that every Jewish male aged 12 and under that lived within a 15-mile radius, which would have included Jericho, that lived within a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem, had to attend the Passover. And along with them would have been throngs of pious Jews flooding into Jerusalem for the, for the upcoming feast. Those who were unable to go into Jerusalem would oftentimes line the streets uh, bidding farewell, well wishes uh, to travelers as they traveled into Jerusalem. Needless to say, the streets of Jericho would have been absolutely packed to the brim, bustling with people as Jesus and his disciples came through. We see there's a big crowd around Jesus. It's uh, customary that when a distinguished rabbi or a teacher was present and he was walking along the way, that he would be teaching as he walked. That was one of the most customary ways for a rabbi to teach. It was as he walked along the way. And so that's what you have here in front of you. As he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Jesus is likely teaching them as they are headed to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Now, if you're like me and you enjoy studying stories uh, from the Gospels uh, in their parallel accounts, because this account here of blind Bartimaeus doesn't just come to us in Mark's Gospel, we see it in Matthew's Gospel as well. We see it in Luke's Gospel as well. And if you enjoy reading stories and accounts uh, in the Gospels and you enjoy, like I do, reading their parallel accounts, you'll notice some interesting things about this particular story. Uh, first, you'll notice that Mark and Luke only mention one beggar. There's only one beggar. He's given a name here in Mark. As a matter of fact, Mark's gospel is the only gospel that gives Bartimaeus a name. He's left indiscriminate in the other gospels. That's a unique thing, by the way. As a matter of fact, some scholars think that Bartimaeus, after his sight was recovered, went on to be a very prominent figure in the early church. And so Mark, who is the pen for Peter, gives us his name here. But in Mark's account, Mark only writes of one blind beggar, but Matthew mentions two. Matthew mentions two. What are we to make of this? We saw the same thing back in Mark chapter 5. Uh, there, Mark mentions only one demon-possessed man, while Matthew notes that there were two demon-possessed men. As you read details like this in the Gospels, uh, let me just encourage you and tell you there is absolutely no reason for concern. We don't need to be all up in arms. We don't need to be concerned as we read through uh, the parallel gospel accounts saying, oh my goodness, Mark only said there was one and Luke only said there was one, but Matthew says there's two. Is there a potential contradiction in Scripture here? Now, friends, let me encourage you and tell you without hesitation, there is no contradiction in Scripture. Contrary to the skeptics' best attempts to uncover them, the Bible is God's infallible, inspired, inerrant word, and it does not contradict itself. Mark does not say that there were not two individuals. What Mark does is he zeroes in on or he focuses in on the most prominent of the two, probably the most vocal of the two. That's, that, that's how we answer the, the potential discrepancy here. Mark doesn't tell us that there weren't two. He just zeroes in on the one, most likely the most vocal, that being Bartimaeus. Now, 
Matthew, in his particular account, says, when they heard, and Mark writes the same thing, when they heard, uh, Matthew, or Mark writes, when he heard that Jesus was passing by, he cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. You see, Bartimaeus couldn't see, he was blind. But he certainly could hear. When he heard that Jesus was passing by, he cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, for what Bartimaeus lost in eyesight, he certainly had in, in acuity of, of sound. He could hear very, very well. As a matter of fact, people who are blind oftentimes are said to have a sharper sense of hearing. The sounds and the smells of the city uh, probably would have been coming alive this particular morning as Bartimaeus woke up and did what he current or did what he did every other morning to, to get himself ready and to make him or to make his way to the city gate. He probably could have heard the city coming alive. All the sounds, the the the, the sound of camel hooves, the sound of people talking. Uh, the, the smells of bread being baked or fish being cooked, all of those beginning to come alive as the city woke up. As Bartimaeus gets there to the city gate, he spreads out his cloak on the ground around him, ready to receive whatever a compassionate passerby might be willing to give him. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, in the distance, unfamiliar sounds begin to fill the air. Bartimaeus had in memory all the familiar sounds, the camel hoof, the individuals talking, all the familiar smells, the bread being baked, the fish being cooked. But on this particular morning, there was a very unusual, different sound that filled the air. A low rumble began to get louder and louder as a loud caravan of people moves through the town toward the city gate where Bartimaeus sat. And as people began to file past Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus likely called out, Who goes there? Who goes there? What's going on? What's, what's happening? And he can't see. He's relying on someone to tell him what's going on. He, he knows that it's strange. He knows that it's abnormal. It's not the usual. Somebody tell me what's going on. Who goes there? Someone probably hollered back to Bartimaeus, It's Jesus of Nazareth, the one that some say is the Messiah. Bartimaeus, though he had never seen Jesus, he had probably undoubtedly heard of his miracles and his mighty works. Remember earlier in Mark's gospel, we read about the fact that the fame of Jesus began to spread throughout the regions. And so likely Bartimaeus has, has heard of Jesus, has heard of his mighty works. And so he probably thought to himself, this is it, this is my chance it's probably likely that Bartimaeus was also familiar with Old Testament scriptures, Old Testament prophecy, particularly concerning the Messiah. These would be uh, verses like Isaiah 29, 18, and Isaiah 35, 5, where Isaiah writes things like this, In that day, when the Messiah comes, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. It's very likely, probable, that Bartimaeus was familiar with some of these Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. 
And so as Bartimaeus yells out to the entourage, who goes there? And someone likely hollers back, it's Jesus of Nazareth, the one that some say is the Messiah. Bartimaeus thinks to himself, this is my chance. This is my chance. The Messiah is the one who is coming to open the eyes of the blind. And so what does Bartimaeus do? Well, Mark writes, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Trying frantically to get, to garner, to attract Jesus' attention from everything else that's going on in the hustle bustle of the crowd. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Friends, what is mercy? Young ones, let me get your attention for a second. What is mercy? What is mercy? A simple definition of mercy is this. Mercy is God withholding what we rightly deserve. God withholding, not giving us what we rightly deserve. You see, in our sin, we rightly deserve God's just condemnation. We rightly deserve his punishment. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, to his own master. We need mercy. What we have earned is condemnation. What we have earned is punishment. We need God to withhold that and to give us something else instead. Something that we don't deserve. That's grace. We'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. We need mercy. I read the story of a lady who went to a photographer one day to have her uh, photograph taken, to have pictures made of herself, and when the photographer showed her the proofs, uh, she was incredibly unhappy with what she saw, and she looked the photographer in the face and she said, sir, I don't like that. I don't like that. These proofs don't do me justice. And the photographer looked back at this lady and he said, ma'am, what you need is not justice. What you need is mercy. What you need is mercy. Bartimaeus' pitiful cry, have mercy on me, it came from, it was produced by, it was born out of a profound clarity of himself, a profound self-understanding. Bartimaeus knew he needed mercy. He knew he needed it. He knew that he was undeserving, but he was unashamed to cry out to Jesus. He knew that he had nothing to offer. He himself was a beggar. He had nothing to contribute to Jesus other than his neediness. Friends, Bartimaeus is a picture of you and me. Young people, Bartimaeus is a picture of you and me. We have nothing to offer. We ourselves are poor, pitiful, wretched, pitiable sinners. We have nothing to offer Jesus other than our wretched state, other than our misery, other than our neediness. It's a picture of us. Apart from Jesus, we are poor, pitiful, spiritually blind beggars. And unless Jesus meets us in our misery, we have no hope. We have no hope. We need mercy. You can't get mercy at the store. 
But that's what the world does, right? The world goes to the store of mercy every day, thinking that if I can just live in a decent way, then I can purchase with my goodness mercy. False. That is a deadly assumption. Mercy, mercy at its core, brings with it the understanding that we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to offer but our wretched condition. We must come to Jesus like the words of Rock of Ages, nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. I have nothing, but I need everything. Jesus, have mercy on me. You see, Bartimaeus, he was a desperate man, but he knew that he was desperate. He knew that he was desperate. Do you realize how desperate you are? Do you realize your desperate condition every moment of every day? Do you realize how in need of mercy you are? There are many, perhaps some in this room, that are as blind as the night is long, but think they see. Just let that settle in for a second. There are some, perhaps in this room, who are as blind as the night is long, but think they have spiritual sight. John, in Revelation chapter 3, writes this, he says, for you say, this would be the person who's blind, but they think they see. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Realizing, not realizing, that you are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve or balm to anoint your eyes, so that you may see those I love, I reprove and discipline. Here's the kicker words. John says, so be zealous and repent. Repent. Those who know they need mercy, repent of their sin. Turn from their sin and turn to Jesus and say, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. Give me mercy. Don't treat me as my sins deserve. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? No one. No one. Do you know what keeps people away from Jesus' mercy? Do you know what keeps people away from Jesus' mercy? Pride. Pride keeps people away from Jesus' mercy. Jonathan Edwards, one of the old Puritans, once wrote, Pride is the worst viper, the worst ugly serpent in the heart. It's the first sin that ever entered into the universe. It lies lowest of all in the foundation of the whole building of sin. Of all of the lusts, of all the cravings, of all the wants of our hearts, it is the most secret, it is the most deceitful, and it is the most unsearchable in its ways of working. Pride is ready, ever ready to mix with anything. Nothing is so hateful to God, nothing is so contrary to the spirit of the gospel, and nothing is of so dangerous consequence as pride. Pride keeps the sinner 
from ever confessing their need for the mercy of Jesus. Friends, don't let pride take you to hell. Cry out, call out, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sin. Give me your righteousness. You take my sin. You pay for it on Calvary's cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. You get my sin. I get your righteous life. Have mercy on me. Boldly confess you need the mercy of Jesus. Number two, write this down. Let nothing stand in the way of you coming to Jesus. Let nothing stand in the way of you coming to Jesus. Look at verses 48 through 50 in your Bible there. Mark writes, speaking about Bartimaeus, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. The first thing that I want you to notice here is how unsympathetic the crowd is. The crowd was eager to see Jesus, but they were not eager, they were not interested in the disruption of a poor blind beggar calling out for mercy. Do you know what Bartimaeus was for the crowd? A disruption. But Bartimaeus cared not. He's going to call out all the, all the more loudly interesting to note that this is the first time in Mark's gospel that the crowd rather than Jesus tries to silence someone Jesus oftentimes told individuals to be silent right Jesus would perform a miracle Jesus would heal someone and then he would send them back to their home and he would say see to it that you tell no one we've seen that several times in our study of Mark's gospel already this is the first time in Mark's gospel, though, that the, that the crowd tries to silence someone. The difference, though, is drastic. The difference is the motive. The motive of the crowd in these instances is to hush the distraction, is to, is to, to get the, the weird individual away. Just sit there and say nothing Jesus' motivation, though, when he silenced individuals was simply to keep those individuals from making a premature or a false confession about him. It was that he didn't want those individuals to go back to their hometown and to prematurely incite more frustration and resentment against Jesus before the appointed time. You see the difference here? The crowd in this instance tries to prevent people from coming to Jesus. They try to silence Bartimaeus. I was thinking in my study this week about the crowd, and I was challenged to consider the answer to a very important question. And I want to pose that question to you as well. I've had to sit with this question for 168 hours, and I have been deeply, deeply challenged. The question is this. Do my words and my actions draw people to Jesus or do they push them away? Do my words and do my actions, 
does my life, does it help draw people to Jesus or does it cause them to recoil? Does it push them away from him? You see, the disciples continue in the same path we've seen earlier of pushing people away from Jesus instead of encouraging them to come to him. You see, the text here says the crowd rebuked, or many rebuked him. I would submit to you that Jesus' disciples are right in the crowd here. Jesus' disciples are probably, Jesus' disciples are likely also trying to silence Bartimaeus. And it may have been in the moment with good intention. It's Maybe Jesus had just said something and the people were hanging on his very word. And out, out of the, the corner comes Bartimaeus yelling, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus! And the people are like, shh, what he's saying is, you know, we don't know. We don't know the exact circumstances surrounding the text here. But it is challenging to consider, do my words and my actions draw people to Jesus or do they push them away from him? Is my life the aroma of Christ? Am I a conduit of grace? Or am I a stumbling block for the lost? Oh, that our lives and our words and our actions would be a sweet foretaste of the grace of Jesus. The crowd's trying to shut Bartimaeus up. But that only serves to increase the tenacity with which Bartimaeus cries out. This is the second time he cries out here, Son of David, have mercy on me! Not just once, but twice. You talk about a man with perseverance. Talk about a man with tenacity. Talk about some grit, some stick-to-itiveness. Bartimaeus is going to get Jesus' attention, whatever it takes. He's not going to be silenced by the crowd. He's not going to be shut up. He's going to cry out all the louder because he realizes he needs mercy. And that's what people who realize they need mercy do. They don't let anything stand in their way. It's been said that the kingdom of heaven is not for the well-meaning, but rather for the desperate. The kingdom of heaven is not for the well-meaning. There are lots of well-meaning people out here who are not desperate for the mercy of Jesus Christ. Desperate people who know they need mercy don't allow a crowd or anything else for that matter to keep them from Jesus. Friends, let me ask you this question. If you're sitting here this morning and you know that you are not in Christ, what is keeping you from Jesus? Repent and believe. Become a new creation. Cry out for mercy. See, Bartimaeus, though he was physically blind, he certainly saw with the eyes of understanding. What he could not see with his eyesight, he makes up for with insight. What the rich young ruler couldn't see, Bartimaeus saw. Bartimaeus saw what many in the crowds that followed Jesus couldn't see. Bartimaeus saw what King Herod couldn't see. Bartimaeus saw what those who rejected Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth couldn't see. Bartimaeus saw what the well-educated scribes and Pharisees couldn't see. 
You see, though Bartimaeus wasn't afforded the opportunity to see physically, to witness Jesus cast out a demon or heal the sick or cleanse a leper or restore movement to a paralytic or give function to a withered hand or calm the storm or see Jesus stop a woman's bleeding or to see Jesus multiply food for thousands or walk on water, yet Bartimaeus believed. He was able to see what so many others weren't, though he could not see physically. Though his blindness precluded him from seeing any of Jesus' mighty works, he had evidently heard of Jesus' power and hearing he believed. Hearing he believed. If you're here this morning and you've not believed, hear the gospel and believe. Gospel good news. You and I and everyone else were born into this world physically alive, spiritually dead, poor, pitiable, wretched, miserable, blind, spiritual beggars, destitute and bankrupt. But Jesus will take my sin and he'll give me his righteousness and he'll call me his own. Cry out to him for mercy. This is the only place in Mark where someone calls Jesus son of David. One of the few places where the figure of David is even mentioned at all. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't reject this title. Jesus doesn't reject this title. Earlier in Mark's gospel, he had discouraged talk of his messiahship. But not now. Jesus is in the final hours of his life. He's headed to Jerusalem. He'll be crucified there. And he is not discouraging talk of his messiahship here in the text in front of us. There's a couple of words here in verse 49 that just floor me, absolutely stop me in my tracks, absolutely rivet me. Look at verse 49 here. The two words that I'm speaking of are the words, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. Just last week, we saw Jesus' determination and his resolve as he marched ahead of his disciples toward Jerusalem. Nothing was able to detour him. Nothing was able to distract him in his mission. But here, in verse 49, Jesus stops. And I love that. I love that. Jesus didn't stop for the political officials in Jericho. Jesus didn't stop for any prestigious rabbi or scholar in Jericho. Jesus did not stop at the booth of any rich merchants in Jericho. But here he stops for a poor, insignificant, begging, blind Bartimaeus. And I love that. Because I am Bartimaeus. How remarkable it is that Jesus, the Son of Man, allows the cries of a poor and powerless person to stop him in his tracks. The psalmist writes in Psalm 106, speaking about God, God looked upon their distress and he heard their cry. God hears the cry of the humble when they call out for mercy. Have mercy on me. Mark continues here, he says, throwing off his cloak, speaking about Bartimaeus, he threw off his cloak, he sprang up, and he came to Jesus. Now, Bartimaeus, he, he chucks his cloak, his cloak. I mean, as quick as he can get it off, he, he tears it off, full of joy at the prospect of being healed, that he might run to Jesus without any hindrance, without any encumbrance. He didn't want to trip over that cloak, he doesn't want it in the way, and so he takes it and he discards it. Friends, this is a wonderful illustration of how a sinner should come to Jesus. 
We should throw away the garments of our old self-righteousness, leaving the old life behind. I'm discarding my sin. I'm discarding my encumbrance. We should rise speedily. Bartimaeus sprang up. There was an urgency in his soul. Friends, there ought to be an urgency in our soul as well. We know not the time, the day, the hour of the reappearing of the Son of Man, and then there will be no more time. Where is the urgency to cry out for mercy? And notice that Bartimaeus here, he runs with joy, and he runs in full faith in the power of Jesus, and he casts himself entirely at his disposal. What a picture, what an illustration of how a sinner should come to Jesus, throw off the tainted garments of sin and self-righteousness, rise speedily and run to Jesus with great joy. Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. Number three, and finally this morning, humbly receive the grace of Jesus. Humbly receive the grace of Jesus. Let me direct your attention to verses 51 and 52, the final two verses under our consideration this morning. Mark writes, and Jesus said to him, that's Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he, Bartimaeus, recovered his sight and followed him on the way. First thing that I want you to consider here is Jesus' response to Bartimaeus. Remember, Bartimaeus' request is, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. And here, in verse 51, we see Jesus' response. Jesus responds by asking a question. The question Jesus asks of Bartimaeus is, what do you want me to do for you? This is an interesting question to ask a blind man, by the way. What do you want me to do for you? It's also interesting to note, as I mentioned already, this is the exact same question that Jesus asked James and John last week. Remember, James and John said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And so Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? Same question to very different requests. Remember, James and John, they, they were asking for places of prominence. They were asking for places of distinction. They were asking for seats of power in the kingdom. Bartimaeus, on the other hand here, is a simple sinner who wants to be healed of his debilitating blindness. Let me ask you a question. Suppose you were to encounter Jesus today, and he asked you this question. What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer? If posed with the question, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer the question? What would you say? I'm oftentimes convicted when I think about the things that I ask God for. I'm not always convicted in the moment, but as I pause to consider this question, and I think back just even over the last week, last 168 hours or so of my life, what are the things that I have petitioned the Lord of hosts for? What are things that I have asked the Lord of glory for? And when I think about that, I'm convicted because oftentimes the things that I ask for are selfishly driven. They're motivated by selfish, sinful wants. Kevin DeYoung asked this question. He says, if all your prayers came true this week, who would be converted 
whose marriage would be restored? What great gospel advance might there be? And what missionaries would be sent out? That's challenging. That's challenging. Who would be converted? Whose marriage would be restored? What great gospel advance might there be? And what missionaries would be sent out? Notice how Bartimaeus addresses Jesus in verse 51. He says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. But he uses the word Rabboni, translated Rabbi there in your Bible. It means my master, an intimate uh, address. Jesus was only addressed this way one other time in the Gospels, and that was by Mary after his death. Remember Mary, heartbroken, she had gone to Jesus' tomb. She stood there at the entrance with tears filling her eyes. She peers into the tomb. She sees two angels sitting there where Jesus had been laid. She was distraught because she thought Jesus' body had been stolen. John writes, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where he is so I can go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means my master, my Lord. What an intimate way to address Jesus here by Bartimaeus. Jesus responds here to Bartimaeus. He says, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. The word well or healed, look at it there in your Bible. Focus in on that for just a second here. Go away. Your faith has made you well or your faith has healed you. The way it is in some translations. It's the Greek word sozo, well or healed. There is another word in Koine Greek that is used for physical healing. That is not the word translated here. Sozo literally means to be saved, to be rescued, or to, to be preserved. All right? In Bartimaeus' case, his eyesight was saved, but so was his soul. I mean, quite literally, the text in front of you reads this. Jesus speaking, go on your way. Your faith has saved you. That's literally what the text says. And friends, let me remind you that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Let's repeat that, okay? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Little ones with me. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Remember that. The world will tell you that there are a plethora of ways to be saved and to be right with God. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul writes, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. See, Bartimaeus became a new creation. Notice how the story closes here, landing the plane. Mark writes, immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You see, Jesus transformed Bartimaeus from a beggar on the side of the road into a disciple on the road. Do you catch that here? What we learn here is we learn that faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. Let me rewind that. Faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. Whoever asks of Jesus must be willing to follow Jesus even on the uphill road to the cross from Jericho to Jerusalem. Are you on the road? There were many in Jericho who stood applauding the crowd. We wish you well on your travels. But there were not many on the road in comparison. Are you on the road, the uphill road to the cross? 
when Martin Luther was being prepared for burial, they removed his overcoat and they found a small scrap of paper sewn into the inside lining of his quote. And this is what that small piece of paper said. It said, we are beggars. This is true. We are beggars. This is true. Friends, Bartimaeus is me and Bartimaeus is you. Have you called out for mercy? Have you received his grace? Is sozo true of you? Have you been saved by marvelous grace? If not, repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, such challenging things here. Thank you for this story here that wraps up chapter 10. Uh, Father, I pray that even as we leave here, you would cause us to, to mull over your word. You would cause us to think back over the things that we have heard and that your spirit would impress the truth upon our hearts, that we would be challenged, convicted, encouraged, uplifted. Uh, Lord, make us more like Jesus as a result of your word here in Mark's gospel that Jesus, you may receive all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor that your great name is due. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.